Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouss. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are tuned to 91.3 FM. This is your program, Questions and Answers, where we will be looking at those questions which you have sent through with Sheikh Ibrahim was in studio. You can send through a SMS through to 47913. Alternatively, you can send through a fax on 021. 447-7271 That is the fax number in which you have a question to send through. You can definitely send it through to that fax number. The SMS line once again is 47913 and do note that you can also drop me an email on JAS M-I-N-A at V-O-C-F-M dot C-O dot Z-A. Shukran so much for all of you who have sent through all of those questions. And of course, Sheikh Ibrahim Wurst will be in studio to do all of those uh, answers for you to your questions. So from now, we break for as and when we come back, we'll continue with the program questions and answers right here on 91.3 FM. Sanzav Operation Kurbani aims to distribute your contribution to the neediest communities in South Africa. Express your sacrifice with the Sunnah Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and 15 rands of each of your Kurbani will go towards the Masjid Waka Fund. For more information, visit sanzav.org.za or contact 0861-726-923. Sanzav, changing lives through development and relief. We pride ourselves in providing our clients with clinical and professional health services by qualified, courteous and well-informed staff. We specialize in live blood analysis which helps to enhance and improve your health. We also stock a wide range of health products. So whatever your health requirement, call us on 021-671-2469 for a free consultation with Ashraf. For your convenience, to your health is open seven days a week. Mom, I want Bewell Creamy Gourmet Mayo. No, I want Bewell Original Tangy Mayo. Creamy, tangy. <laughs> My kids can't get enough of Bewell Mayonnaise. Luckily, Bewell Mayo is made with GMO-free canola oil, so it's high in omega-3. It's also egg, dairy, and gluten-free, which is great for my kids' food allergies. It's the only mayo approved by the S.A. Heart and Stroke Foundation. I vote creamy gourmet. Okay, it's not just my kids who can't get enough of it. Be well. Love, food, life. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Wuss. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your program, Questions and Answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and we are joined in studio, as promised, with Sheikh Ibrahim Wuz, the Imam at the Yusufia Masjid, answering all of your questions this evening. Sheikh, assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you, uh, Yasmina, and to the honorable listeners of the Voice of the Cape. Sheikh, shukran so much once again for coming into studio and doing this for us. However, we are going to be looking at those questions in which we did not have chance to look at last week, and of course, the other questions, the new ones in which have come through. Now, the first question is as follows Sheikh says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Is my salah permissible if I perform it in the wrong direction? And shukran for the beautiful show. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. As we all know that our salah have a number of prerequisites that uh, needs to be fulfilled uh, for our salah to be valid. Uh, of the prerequisites to the salah, for example, is uh, Tahara, which is the cleanliness of body, the clean, cleanliness of your clothing, even the place that you make salah on, the place that you're standing on must be clean. Uh, the covering of the awrah, for example, is also the prerequisites. And amongst these prerequisites is also facing the qibla. So you have to face the qibla for the salah. For any fard salah, you have to face the qibla, uh, upon which if it is perhaps left out or if it is not correct, then salah will not be correct. The salah will be invalid and that salah will have to obviously be repeated uh, now when we say the qibla is incorrect it means if it is in total opposite directions if it is perhaps a few degrees out to the right or to the left there is no issue as long as it is in the correct direction then that should be okay but if it is completely opposite if it is more than 45 degrees out let's say then of course that would be a huge problem um, because it is of the prerequisites uh, of the salah and uh, there are very specific circumstances in which this prerequisite can fall away and that is if uh, a person is making salah while in battle for example um, then uh, we know that that is allowed for him to make salah or uh, her to make salah in whatever direction they can because that is special circumstances and there's a whole chapter in fiqh that is called salatul khawf which is called the salah of fear or the salah of peril which basically refers to the issue of battles and uh, jihad and so on so in those circumstances special rules will apply uh, there is also another exception and that is if you are making sunnah salahs you are allowed to make sunnah salahs perhaps not facing the qibla right that is allowed uh, you can f- uh, on on the vehicle if you're traveling for example on a ship or you uh, on a camel or whatever in those times they used to travel in those modes of transport you can actually make sunnah salahs not facing the qibla sunnah salahs is okay but as for fard salah you have to face the qibla for it to be correct otherwise obviously it would not be a valid salah Shukran so much for that. Sheikh, do note that you can send through an SMS through the 47913, alternatively fax through on 021-447-7271. You can also drop me an email at jasmina at vocfm.co.za. That was the voice of uh, Sheikh Ibrahim was answering one of the questions which you have sent through. For now, we break for ads and when we come back, we'll continue with the rest of the show. Stay tuned. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim was. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your program, Questions and Answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and we are going to be in your company up until 7 o'clock, inshallah. Answering all of your questions this evening, we are joined in studio by none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Moors. And we are looking at those questions coming through via SMS only, as well as those who have come through via fax. Now, Sheikh, the following question reads as follows. Assalamu alaikum. My husband wants to take a second wife. I was very upset over it, but in time I agreed. But I would like to speak to the lady but my husband don't want me to yeah of course this is always a a bit of a sensitive issue uh, for a person wanting to take a second wife and it is all always uh, very sensitive with regards to his relationship with his first wife so um, I can kind of imagine why he would be worried for you to meet with his second wife because obviously emotions run high and perhaps he is worried that uh, words would be exchanged or you would say something that it's uh, that is out of line or whatever the case may be so the fact that uh, he had told you about it and 
and the fact that you are speaking about it is obviously a good sign. You have conversation and you have dialogue about it. And the fact that you're even saying that you are prepared to agree with it, uh, that obviously is also another positive within this uh, uh, issue that you are facing. So I think what you should be doing is if you are able to motivate your husband very strongly why you want to speak to the to the to, to his uh, to this woman that he wants to marry as a second wife if you can motivate uh, to him why you feel that is an important aspect as well then perhaps he will reconsider but i think you should uh, give him time and try to you know work around this issue like you have been doing i suppose uh, from the start like you have been doing uh, speaking to him about it um, and perhaps suggest to him look if you think that I'm going to be out of line why don't you then come with you know and uh, accompany me to this woman and for me to have a chat with her and if that happens then obviously that would be ideal then it means you will be able to speak to her and your husband would be present so there wouldn't perhaps be uh, that issue of him worrying that you may say something which is not uh, proper or, or etc because as I said in these cases uh, there is a bit of emotion that runs high uh, especially from the first wife side so um, I think what you have been doing so far is is great you've been speaking to your husband and you've been very civil about it and your husband seems to also be in, uh, in in contact and in conversation with you and i think you should continue with that and uh, hopefully if this is something you strongly feel about then you should uh, strongly feel about it then you should obviously motivate to him why you want to do it and perhaps you will see reason if you do that inshallah shukran so much for that sheikh and then the following question reads as follows my husband comes home and takes his work moods out on me now we'd work things out and then he'll just do the same thing a few weeks later when i get my monthlies and i feel moody but don't take my mood out on him then it's as if i committed sin what can I do in this regard? I feel like leaving because this is pushing me away from him. Yeah, of course, uh, the uh, issue of uh, living with one spouse uh, is something that we obviously need to adapt to and that we need to adjust to, um, especially in the early stages of married life. Um, the issue of moods, uh, I think there is no, no humans except very rarely that a, a, a human being does not have moods. I mean, we all have moods, we all have our ups, we have our downs, we have the day, uh, days that we feel very good, there's days that we don't feel so good. So this is a human, human uh, aspect that one cannot really uh, remove from the equation. So you will be moody at times, he will be moody at times. But it's obviously wrong from him to um, take his moods out on you or to blame you for things or to uh, create an environment that is unpleasant in the house if things didn't go well at his workplace. Right? That is obviously wrong. Uh, um, but at the same time, I think uh, you should obviously try to uh, when he is in this mood, try to make him as comfortable as possible. There may be issues at his work really that uh, he is under stress about and maybe you will come to learn you know, how to handle him when he is in that mood, um, to do things maybe to not further stress him out or to rather calm him down. Um, and, and we learn actually how to do these things with our wives and with the wives of the husbands. We learn how to deal with it. Um, also, the wives that are moody when they get their monthly. So we know, you know something that happens and we learn how to deal with it. We under, kind of understand it because 
that is something that Allah has created them with. It's not in their control always. And uh, we always uh, remind people about the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu where he said, "Khayrukum, khayrukum li ahlihi." The best of you are those who are the best towards his family. You know, we should try to always do good to them and try our best to live in harmony with them. And it's actually a sign of iman as well. The Prophet says, "Min akmalil mu'minina iman and ahsanuhum khuluqa wa altafuhum bi ahli." People that have complete iman are those who are the best in character and those who treat their wives to the best of their ability so wife towards husband and husband towards wife if there's moods playing around and, and so on try to understand it try to deal with it try to uh, comfort the person try to be of assistance right so if he's moody for example coming out of work you now perhaps know that look there's something at work that is very stressful right so don't start by saying why are you moody because m- moodiness is part of human character as I said so don't don't say why are you moody but rather try to ask him what can I do to help you what can I do to assist you in perhaps the way that you are feeling is there anything I can get for you or do for you that will make you more comfortable or make you more relaxed uh, when you are at home and maybe perhaps if you phrase the question in that way there will be some kind of understanding and he should do exactly the same when you are in your monthlies or when you are in a state of not feeling uh, very bright on a particular day he should also do a similar uh, have a similar approach in so much for that she do note that we are still taking your questions on 47913. Alternatively, you can also send through a fax on 021-447-7271. And you can also email me, jasmina at vocfm.co.za. The following question reads as follows. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. What do you do if things disappear when a certain person is always in the house? How do you address this problem? Yeah, I think the uh, perhaps the first thing is that uh, one should not uh, jump to conclusions and uh, just accuse a person if one does not have ample proof for what we are saying or what we are uh, obviously believing the situation to be. So I think if possible, try to get proof of your claims. Uh, and if it proves to be absolutely, so you can put something, uh, you know, you can you can set up something which is going to prove beyond doubt that this person is really taking things from the house. So if you've got that kind of proof, then the second step is I think you should address it with a person in a private manner. Speak to the person privately and ask, you know, you know why they are doing this. If it's a he or if it's a she, if it's a woman that works in the house or whatever, sit them down and ask them, you know, what is happening? Why, why are you taking things that's, that's not belonging to you? Uh, because very often uh, we, 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 may not, we may not understand the circumstances. Right? We obviously cannot justify stealing or taking other people's uh, property or other people's valuables. That can never be justified. But there may be circumstances that we are not uh, informed about. So it's best to sit with a person and say, look, I've got proof that you have been taking things from the house. But I want to know why and uh, if this may be a good reason, maybe I could assist you in uh, you know, not resorting to stealing or taking things. Maybe we can try to assist where we can. So firstly, try to get proof. Don't accuse without proof. And secondly, the way that you address it, try to do it privately first so that you don't embarrass the person before others, etc. Um, and try to deal, it, to deal with it with hikmah, so that you can understand also where the person is coming from. And then the third thing is, you can take steps then from there onwards to see what is the best for you 
to then uh, prohibit or curtail this person or prevent this person from doing a similar thing in the future. You can then put in place whatever steps you feel is obviously suitable to, to deal with that, inshallah. Inshallah. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads as follows. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Salatul Tahajjud is made in the middle of the night. Just so is a Salatul Layl. What is the difference and what is the virtues of Salatul Awwabin after Maghrib Salah? Okay, so the first question first, uh, <coughs> first part of the question first, Salatul Tahajjud and Qiyamul Layl. Uh, the word Tahajjud itself, literally in the language, Tahajjud means to ward off your sleep, right? To, to brush off the sleep that, is, that, that, that you are experiencing. In other words, if you wake up and you uh, do whatever you do in order to wake up and to actually get rid of that sleep or the sleepiness, that is actually called Tahajjud. Okay, so from there we can already gain the answer. Salatu tahajjud is if you sleep and you wake up, and in the middle of the night you've, you you first slept, then you woke up, and then you make salah for the sake of Allah Taala, as opposed to salatul layl. Salatul layl is any sunnah salah that you do during the night, whether you actually slept or whether you didn't sleep. So let's say after isha you were sitting for a while, an hour or so, then you decide, well, I, I'm just going to make some rakahs for the sake of Allah, two rakahs for whatever amount you want to make. That we don't call tahajjud. We call it salatul layl, because it is simply sunnah salahs made at night. Whereas tahajjud is, as I said, when you go to bed, you sleep, then you wake up. And obviously salatul tahajjud, you can engage for yourself that salatul tahajjud has got a greater reward than salatul layl. The reason being, there's more effort required. For you to actually wake up from your sleep and to brush off the, the sleepiness and then to obviously uh, strive against your own nafs because it's a difficulty to actually get up and do that. So Salatul Tahajjud definitely then is uh, something which is greater in virtue. And this is uh, pointed out by uh, a, a, a scholar by the name of Al-Khatib Sherbini. He says, Istilahan He speaks about Tahajjud and he says technically it means to make a Sunnah Salah at night after sleeping after waking up from sleep all right so that's the one part of the question the second part of the question is with regards to salatul awwabin there is a sunnah salah that is referred to as salatul awwabin and i'm reading from the same book by khatib ashirbini a book that is called mughni al-muhtaj a manual in shafi a fiqh he says salatul awwabin wa tusamma salatul ghafla the salah is also called salatul ghafla and the salah of ghafla ghafla means heedlessness being in a state of negligence why is it called such? He says, Because a lot of people don't really uh, take care or take heed of this time period uh, to make salah to Allah Ta'ala, either because they fall asleep or they have to make isha salah, etc. He says, And you can make up to 20 rak'ahs between Maghrib and Isha. And this is the sunnah salah that is called Salatul Awwabin. And there's a hadith in the book of Imam Al-Tirmidhi that alludes to this particular salah. A hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu said, Man salla sitta rak'atin bayna al-Maghrib wal-Isha, kutiba lahu ibadatu thnatay ashrata sanah. If a person makes six rak'ahs sunnah salah between Maghrib and Isha, then Allah Ta'ala will give him the reward as if he made 12 years of ibadah. 
as if you made worship to Allah for 12 years. If you do six raka'ahs between Maghrib and Isha, that is the extent of the reward. Now the hadith, which is narrated by Imam At-Tirmidhi and others, have been classified by some scholars to be a weak hadith. It's not a very authentic hadith. However, as scholars like Imam Al-Nawawi and others have repeatedly explained to us, that the hadith may be weak, but if it is used only for virtuous actions, like making extra ibadah or extra worship, then such a hadith may be used. Because we are not using it for halal and haram or for matters of belief or for matters of serious issues but it is really to encourage you to do extra good so even if the hadith is weak according to imam al-nawawi you can actually act upon such a hadith uh, like the hadith which is in question here so that is salatul awwabin it is a sunnah salah that a person can make between maghrib and isha and uh, you can make two raka'ahs, four raka'ahs, six raka'ahs, up to 20 raka'ahs if you like, between Maghrib and Isha, and it is quite a virtuous salah to be made. Uh, and then also just to mention lastly, that salatul awwabin may also at the same time refer to a salah that is called salatul duha, which is a salah that is made in the morning. Salatul duha is made after the sun has risen, and it can be done any time from sunrise up until zawal, up until the war time. So that salah, which is salatul duha, commonly referred to as, some scholars also refer to that salah as salatul awwabin. So awwabin then can either refer to that or it can refer to the one which is between Maghrib and Isha. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads as follows. Assalamu alaikum. I hope Sheikh and uh, all is well in studio. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh, my daughter is getting married soon, inshallah, but I have a problem. My son does not want to be her wakil and there is no dad. He passed away five years ago. May Allah grant him a high place in Jannah. Amen. Sheikh, what can I do? Because the guy that she is getting married to comes from a good family with Dean. I'm very saddened by this. Yeah, of course, we would like to ask your son what is his reason for, for refusing, right? Uh, either he has a good reason or he does not have a reason at all. Um, and uh, sometimes it's just because there's maybe a tiff that uh, arose between him and his sister. And that is why he doesn't want to be the wakil. Obviously, that is not a good enough reason. So if he doesn't have a good enough reason, he should be convinced that, look, you are the wakil. Since the father is no longer there, you are the wali. And you should act in this capacity. It is a responsibility that you should carry out to the best of your ability. All right. If, however, he still refuses without giving a good reason why he's doing so, then of course you may then proceed to the next person in line who should also stand as a wali. And in this case, it can be an uncle, it can be a, a nephew, right? If there is a nephew to the person who's getting married, a male, then that can also work. If it is an uncle, uh, father's brother, that can also work. If there's no other wakil or any other uh, wali to, to actually act upon or to be an authority to, to marry your daughter, then in such a case, you simply go to any of the judiciaries the judicial bodies and they will obviously then be able to marry uh, you, to marry your daughter even in the absence of a physical wali because this is basically what happens if there is no wali to represent the, the girl then of course either an imam a sheikh or a judiciary can actually fill that position uh, because the hadith of the prophet sallallahu states as-sultanu waliyu man la waliyalah the sultan the ruler or the hakim or the person who's in authority he would be the wali for a person who does not have a wali, 
right? So if your son still refuses and he doesn't have a good reason, you can actually just do that if there's no one else to actually fulfill that. So in other words, your daughter will get married anyway. Nobody can stop her from getting married and your son don't really have that power to prevent her from getting married. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The voice there of Sheikh Ibrahim was in studio answering all of your questions right here on Q&A. Do you know that we're still taking your questions on the SMS line 47913. You can also send through a fax on 021 Four four seven seven two seven one. I'll repeat that is zero two one four four seven seven two seven one. And you can also drop me an email at uh, jasmina at vocfm.co.za to send through all of your questions in which you want Sheikh to answer, inshallah. But for now, we break for ads, and when we come back, we'll continue with some of your questions more right here on Q and A. Stay right here. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Wes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your program Questions and Answers. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson and answering all of your questions this evening, we are joined in studio with the Imam at the Yusufia Masjid. That's none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Mwaz. We are taking your questions on 47913, alternatively faxed through on 021-447-7271. Sheikh, the following question reads as follows. Assalamu alaikum Sheikh, can a man be married to a second wife and not give his first wife nights and telling her that he can't give her nights but he is with her during the day? And is it wrong of the second wife to have the first wife's nights? Yeah, of course it is wrong. Um, you should uh, be just towards your wives. Um, you are not allowed to give one a certain amount of time and not the other. And the night and the day, we know obviously that they are not equal. The night and the day are not is not equal. Uh, the daytime, normally you work and you are busy. There's many things that happen during the day. And the nighttime is a time where you retreat and you settle down, etc. So if you are giving days to the one wife and nights to the other, it's not a fair, uh, it's not a fair uh, agreement because the nighttime is where you will relax with the one wife or you will be more at ease. There won't be a lot of things to do perhaps. Whereas in the daytime you're working, there's lots of things happening and so on. So you can't really compare. And so yes, if you are going to give certain nights, amount of nights to one wife, it is compared that you also give to the other wife the same amount of nights and in fact this is clearly stated by Imam Nawawi in his book Minhaj Talibin he mentions he says if a person sleeps at or stays over at the place of one of his wives then it is lazim it is wajib and compulsory for him also to do the same to the rest of his wives right and it's interesting here in the uh, commentary of this by uh, by, uh, by imam nawawi we find that the scholars had mentioned that you must make this arrangement to spend equal time uh, and as i said the nights cannot be compared to the day to the day if you give one uh, a night to one of the, the the wives then the same must give be given to the other wife uh, in the commentary of this it is interesting that they say that even if a person is sick you must still make those arrangements. You know, you, you shouldn't like just say, okay, you're sick, so you're just going to stay more time here than what the other. If you are going to stay more time, then those times must be made up with the other wives, right? So illness does not. And this is taken from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ himself, where, or from, the, uh, from his life himself, that he himself, when he was very ill, towards the end, he was still very concerned with giving equal time to his wives. And he used to ask, where must I go tomorrow? 
Where should I retreat to tomorrow? He used to ask this because he was very serious in carrying out his responsibility towards his wives until the wives obviously gave him the permission to stay with Sayyidah Aisha, in which case he accepted to stay only at the place of one person. So uh, yes, it is wrong what your husband is doing and it's no use having two wives but you're not doing justice to them. You will be answerable by Allah for it. There's a hadith that I've quoted many times before. A person who does this, he will be known on the day of judgment where one of his body, one, one half of his body will be skewed. You know, one half will be correct and the other half of, of his body will be skewed. And people will know him to be then a person who had not treated his wives fairly. So that is obviously quite a big thing. So the husband should try his best not to to do what he is currently doing. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. And then the following question reads, it says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Is it wrong to delay a marriage because one of the persons that wants to get married doesn't have a permanent job yet? Yeah, look, having a permanent job or a very nice job is not a prerequisite for marriage. Of course, um, what is a prerequisite of marriage is, and this is taken from the direct words of the Prophet ﷺ, is that a person who wants to get married, he must at least have the ability to fulfill his responsibility towards a wife. Okay, And part of this responsibility is he must have a dowry that he's going to pay to this wife, and he's going to uh, have at least some nafaqa for the first initial stages of their married life, and he must at least have money to give her some clothing for whichever season they are in, right? He must be able to provide some clothing for her, and he must be, be able to provide the basic nafaqa. So if he's able to fulfill those things, then obviously it is okay for him to get married, even if he does not have like a permanent job or a very good job that earns a lot of money, etc. Because we all start out slow, we all start, start out very small, and inshallah Allah gives rizq the way that he wants. Uh, but, um, uh, so there's two issues. The one is that you don't have to be rich to get married, right? You must just have enough to have uh, to be able to shoulder the initial responsibilities of marriage. Uh, and number two, it doesn't mean that if you have nothing, you should get married also. Because if you have nothing or you don't have that seriousness in life, then you shouldn't be getting married. That's why the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ says that a person, if he wants to get married and he has alba'a, if you have the ability to get married, then you should. But if you are not able to, you don't have that ability, then you should rather fast. You should be fasting sunnah fast to take away your desires and shahwa until such a time that you are able to shoulder the responsibilities of marriage. So yes, you don't have to have a permanent job, but you must at least have some kind of plan how you are going to support your wife in terms of the nafaqa and the dawah and the mahar, all of that. Uh, that is what is required for you to get married. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads as follows. says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My daughter is wife number three. She got no food money. Her front door is broken. He didn't fix the door before leaving. And he recently got married a few months ago to wife number four. And she was told that he can only spend Sunday nights with her. And she have no rights to anything else. Yeah, I don't think I have to repeat anything. I've just answered uh, the same question just a minute ago. So it's haram, it's haram for this person just to get married to another wife and another wife and he's not actually fulfilling his rights towards the first one, the second one or the third one. Uh, it's haram for him. What he's doing is absolutely haram. And if you feel you don't want to be in this marriage any longer because you're absolutely not getting your haq, you can actually apply for a fasakh of this nikah, annulment of your nikah on the basis of him not giving nafaqa and not uh, giving you your rights as is uh, actually deserved by yourself. 
and and that is that. I don't have to give the elaborate description again. I already gave it uh, just one minute ago. And just a caution, you know, for people who get married like this, you know, they often say, well, it is halal for me. Allah made it halal. Yes, we agree. Allah made it halal. But just remember, with that comes a responsibility. If you are not able to fulfill that responsibility, then it's actually haram for you. That's what Allah says in the Quran in Surah An-Nisa. If you are not able to do justice with your wives, then it is compulsory for you to stick with one wife and not to take more than one wife if you are not able to fulfill the duties towards them. Shikran so much for breakfast. And when we come back, we'll continue right here on questions and answers right here on 91.3 FM. Do know that the SMS is 47913. We're back right after this. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome to your program Questions and Answers. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson and answering all of your questions this evening we are joined in studio with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos and Sheikh will be taking all of those questions in which he have not taken. We will be looking at those questions inshallah and do the best that we can do. It's the last few minutes of the program but we are still taking more questions on 47913 alternatively fax number 0214477271. Sheikh, the following question reads as follows. Says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. If you do greet and it is husband and wife, must you give salawat? Uh, this is a customary thing, we, and it's a good custom. We normally go visit the hujaj and we give them a slavat. We give them like a small monetary token. So the person is asking, should I give like for both if it's husband and wife? Yes. So maybe the person is worried. It becomes a very expensive exercise. Um, of course, it is only a gesture. There's no must here. If you want to give, you can give. If you don't want to give, you don't have to give. I think it's a nice gesture because you are honoring the guest of Allah. You know, they are going to be the guest of Allah. So by honoring them, you are giving them something small, which perhaps they can use, you know, on their trip. They can buy them something. They can buy a cool drink. So, yes, alhamdulillah, I think it's a good custom, which is very unique to the people of Cape Town. I don't think in any, any other parts of our country or in the world have I seen this kind of gesture actually play out. But um, you shouldn't make it a burden upon yourself, right? So if you visit somebody and you cannot afford it, they don't expect, of course. I mean, they shouldn't expect. Hujaj don't expect that you must bring something. So it's up to you to give. If you can afford it, it's nice to give. So if it's a husband and wife and you can only give to the one, then only give to the one. If you can give to both, give to both. It depends on your own condition. And it's a sadaqah that you are making and sadaqah is always good. Sadaqah is always something which keeps away bala, etc. Especially if it's now for the guest of Allah. Inshallah, Allah Ta'ala will give you in return something much greater. So I think you shouldn't uh, stress about it and think feel bad if you can't do it. Because if you can't, you can't. You know, it's your intention that counts. So it is not a must, but it's just a gesture that is practiced as a custom in this part of the world. Shukran so much, Sheikh. And the following question is quite lengthy. It says, Assalamu alaikum. Is it permissible for a male Muslim to work as a cabin crew member for an airline, which is Emirates, which serves halal food, so that's not a problem? which although their job requires them to serve halal food to passengers, it also requires cabin crew members to serve passengers alcoholic beverages if passengers ask for it. So is it permissible to work in such a job if you would be required to serve passengers alcohol? Actually, uh, one should uh, always take a job that is uh, not entailing anything which is going to clash with your deen, with your aqidah, with your belief, with your way of life. And obviously, uh, giving alcohol in a restaurant, uh, you know, Serving that and taking it to people. There's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ had cursed the person who drinks the wine, who makes the wine, who sells the wine, who even 
carries it to someone else. So as far as this is concerned, we, we should not uh, be do, doing any jobs that is going to entail for us to give up our principles or to give up what we ought to be doing. So uh, if this is uh, the only job that you have at the moment and you, you really are in dire need of, of the money, then of course, darura, you know, if, if it's necessity, we will say it is okay for you, but you should in the meantime look out for something else. And that goes for any job where you have to directly be involved with something that is haram, like serving uh, wine to someone, etc. Like in a restaurant, it's haram. If you if you uh, are able to get something else, it will be much better for you. There will be much more barakah in your income also. Uh, so one should obviously try then to not do this kind of work or this line of work because it clashes with what you are. As, as I said, if it is totally necessary, you've got nothing else, carry on until you find something else. And uh, hopefully Allah will make it easy for you, inshallah. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question is as follows. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I enjoy your program very much. However, I have a question about janazas. I am divorced and live alone due to space issues. My parents are still alive. So when I die, should the janaza be at my parents' house and mosque in their area? Yeah, I, I think I first want to uh, applaud, you know, this person that is speaking so openly about their own death because it's not easy to speak about your own death, you know, when I die and, you know, we often don't think about us dying, we think of other people dying and this is actually a sign of faith, you know, if you, sp- if you think about your own death and you prepare for it and you wonder how is it going to be. I know that old people, they used to buy their own coffin even mm-hmm. and they would say in the cupboard, you know, that is my coffin when I die. This is consciousness, you know, knowing that we will all die one day. We don't think often, so it's a very good thing that this person is thinking in these terms. But in terms of where exactly the janazah will be if you should die, there's no set rules as to where it should be. Should it be at your house, your mother's house, your father's house? There's no set rules. And whatever the community decides, your family decides, that is where it will be. If you've got a specific place that you want to be uh, taken to when it is your janazah, like your parents' home, you can actually say that to your fa- family members and they will carry out that particular wasiya of yours if that is what you want. Um, but if uh, there is nothing, your father will obviously be the best person to make those decisions. Uh, you know, he is your wali or your wakili is the one that will stand over you and the, uh, that will be responsible for you so if you should die and your father is still alive he will be the person best to decide where it will happen but there is no rules that state it must be by a area where you stay or close or this masjid or that masjid all is okay whatever is good for the family would be acceptable inshallah Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. Before we wrap up, a last question from our side. It says, Assalamu alaikum. As, as someone who is currently studying law, I just wanted to find out if it is permissible as a Muslim to address a judge in court as my Lord, as I don't feel comfortable addressing another person by those words. Okay, firstly, uh, to say my Lord obviously is not a must. Uh, there are other words that you can say as well. You can say uh, your honor or honorable or you can use other terms which, are, which I think is acceptable in a court of law. So if you personally don't feel comfortable with my Lord, then obviously you've got all the right not to, not to say that word and to say your honor was a, a more neutral word. By the way, if you look at the, the word Lord itself, I've checked it up in the dictionary, you'll find that the word Lord, and here you can write Lord either with a small letter or you can write it with a capital letter when you write it with a small letter the word lord can have many meanings and one of the meanings of lord is actually this is quoted from the oxford dictionary a man of noble rank or high office so in other words not a god just a man who has a noble rank or high office may also be called lord and this is in England, you find that they used to call the dignitaries and people of, of uh, high status, they used to call Lord. Not in terms of worship, but just in terms of rank. Okay, so from that angle, if your intention is to use the word in that fashion, then it also would not be a... 
problem. But if you still feel no, you don't want to comfort, you're not comfortable with it, I'm sure as a law student you can verify this, that the court does not compel you. I think here in South Africa particularly, the term your lord is not even used so much. They will rather say your honor or some other terms which are more neutral. And I find interesting just to conclude, in, in, in India, in fact, there was a whole court case that uh, came, came about because of this. And the Supreme Court in India actually ruled that there's no specific terms that must be addressed to judges and so on. As long as there's respect shown to the judge, that is ample. But you, he said you can even say sir, you know. There's, there's the, the, the rule that you can even call the person sir. There's no problem in that. As long as respect is shown. So I think that is what is needed, even from an Islamic perspective, that you give respect to the qadi or the judge. And if you feel comfortable with one word and not with the other, you obviously have liberty to do that, inshallah. Shukran so much. On that note, that is where we leave it for this week's program. And of course, those questions which have come through, we will be addressing that in the next week, the following week program, next weekend, Saturday, inshallah. Sheikh, shukran so much for coming to studio and doing the program with us. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Jazakumullah khairan to you, uh, Sister Yasmina, and to all our listeners. May we be in the protection of Allah until we meet in one week's time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Do know that those questions that has come through via SMS 47913 as well as the fax number and also those who have emailed me, we will be addressing those questions next week, Saturday, inshallah, same time, same place, right here on 91.3 FM. From myself, Yasmina, I bid you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.